You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's Pastor Ben Glover. I feel a little bit of that too right now. I'm not sure why that is, but I feel it. And uh, so anyway, it's a great morning. Um, Good to be here. Genesis 35. Genesis 35. We are finishing up a nine-week series on the life of Jacob. Uh, Next week, we'll launch out a new sermon series that I'm really excited about, and I hope you'll plan on being here and being part of that. But today, on Launch Up Sunday, as we finish up the life of Jacob in Genesis 35, we're confronted with a question that deserves our attention. It deserves our attention, but to be honest, I I don't think we'll have to work at it. I think think the question's going to come anyway. You may not be asking this question today. Not today you may not be asking it, and, and not about Jacob you may not be asking this question, but I bet you'll be asking it someday about somebody close to you, about yourself. In fact, you you may be asking the question already. A week before this last one, our family went up north to visit my grandparents who live way up in the far end of the UP, my mother's parents. They're both in their 90s. And as we were gathered together, you know, as a family, four generations there all together, uh, my dad said something to me, raised this question. He said, something effective, I wonder how they feel looking out over this family that came from them. You know, back in 1950, it was just the two of them, newly married, starting out in life, and then there was a couple kids, and then several grandkids, and now a number of great-grandchildren. So I wonder how they feel looking out over this family of theirs. I wonder what they think as they look at it. I wonder, are they pleased with what their family has become? I can't help but wonder if Jacob's asking the same question of himself here in Genesis 35. I wonder if he's pleased with what his family has become. He's been blessed. To be sure, he's been blessed. But there has been so much struggle, so much hardship, so much failure, so much disappointment, so much sin. I wonder if he's pleased with what his family and his life have become. So here in Genesis 35, he's finally returning home to his father Isaac. He's been away for decades. Is he bringing home a family to be proud of? How does Jacob feel when he looks at his family and he sees what it's become under his leadership? Look, if if you're a parent and you aren't asking that question already, you will someday. You will look out like my grandparents did last week over your family And you'll ask yourself, am I pleased with what this family has become? 
And some of us are raising little kids still. And so we're still full of hope, right? The, the, the story's not written yet, and we're hopeful for a happy ending. Some of you have a little bit older kids, teenagers, college, young in life, and their story's partially written, and they've, they've started on a direction, but you're still hopeful, and you're still praying, and still trying to encourage and guide. Some of you have kids who are all grown up, and it feels like their story is mostly written now. Are we pleased with what our family is becoming? Are we pleased with what our family has become? Well, I think the last chapter here in Jacob's story, Genesis 35, can help us think about this question the right way, no matter what stage of the game, no matter what part of the story that we're in. So look here at Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. This is God's word. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods they had and, and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near to Shechem. And as they journeyed, a, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they didn't pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alone Bakuth, which means oak of weeping. Well, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I'll give to you, and I'll give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he'd spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he'd spoken with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured on it a drink offering and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel, which means house of God. Then he journeyed from Bethel, and when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, son of sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. So Rachel died. And she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It's the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel... Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Ashtar, 
These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, now as we look at your word, inspired by your spirit, true without error, useful and helpful to us. I pray, Father, that your spirit would use your word now in our lives, in our hearts, in our families. I pray we'd see it, understand it, believe it, embrace it, obey it for your glory and our joy. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This chapter doesn't tell us explicitly that Joseph, or Jacob rather, is evaluating his life and family and legacy. It doesn't tell us that, but we know he's the kind of guy that would do that. Later in the book of Genesis, near the very end of his life, Jacob will end up in Egypt. If you know the story of Joseph, you know how he ends up there. And Joseph, his son, is elevated to a leadership position, and, and Jacob comes down, and he appears before Pharaoh, this great king. And Pharaoh asks him a question. He says, essentially, so how old are you, old man? And Jacob says, well, the days of my journey have been 130 years. Now, that's all Pharaoh asked him. How old are you? But Jacob feels like he needs to go on. The days of my journey have been 130 years. Few and evil have been my days and years. He, he gives more than how old he is. He feels compelled to, to comment. I'm 130 years old and my days have been short and hard difficult, evil. He looks back over his life, and he doesn't just give the length, he gives an evaluation of it. My life's been tough. Listen, if God gives you and I enough years, we will find ourselves doing the same thing Jacob does. Not just counting the years, but looking back over our lives, looking back at our families and evaluating, asking ourselves, am I pleased with what my life has become? Am I pleased with what my family has become? Of course, the truth is you don't actually have to live a long time to ask those questions. Many of us are asking them already. The final verdict, the final evaluation, the end of the story isn't written, but we're concerned about it. We're thinking about it. We're wondering how we'll answer those questions on that day. Here in Genesis 35, as we finish the part of the story where Jacob is the main character, we find two really important principles that we need to know and embrace as we contemplate our lives and families and legacy. Here's the first. The one thing we can control, the one thing we can control is the direction we point our families' hearts. The one thing we can control is the direction we point our families' hearts. We would like to control, and some of us are especially prone to wanting to control everything, everything in our environment, everybody in our environment, we want to control, but the one thing we can control is the direction we point our families' hearts. We can't control our past mistakes. 
Jacob has tons of them. Just last week, we looked at chapter 34. Uh, and the failure of his family, the failure of his leadership as he fails to go to his father Isaac in the promised land, as he moves toward the city of Shechem, his daughter is, is violated and raped, his sons end up massacring the city. He's a big mess. We could go back further in his story if you've been with us through this series, you already know. His life has been a mess. You can't control your past mistakes. Those have already happened. You can't change them. They're there. Jacob's life is full of past mistakes, and, and we can get discouraged about those. The things we did that we never should have done. The things we haven't done that we always knew we should. Most of us look back at our lives and see past mistakes. You can't control those, and you can't change them. We also can't control the difficulties and trials that God permits to come into our lives. Jacob's had a lot of those too. Even in this chapter, we see some of them. As we look in verse 8, it comments that Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, that Rebecca's Jacob's mother, died, buried under an oak. They called it a lone bakuth, the oak of weeping. Deborah, his, his mother's nurse, probably when he was a kid, his nurse too, raised with the family. We don't really know how she got to be with the family, but she's there. She dies. They stop, bury her, and they weep. Hard times come. Later in the chapter, Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, for years she couldn't bear children. Finally, she has Joseph. Now, finally, another son who's going to be named Benjamin. And in childbirth, she dies. We, we can't control the difficult, hard things, trials that God permits in our life. The pain is real. We can't control it. Jacob knew it. We know it, too. We also can't control the choices that our children make. Last chapter, we saw Simeon and Levi avenging a real offense by wiping out everyone in a city, killing every man and plundering it. Here in this chapter, we see later in the chapter, verse 22, while they lived in the land, that, that Jacob's oldest son, Reuben, went in and slept with Jacob's concubine, Bilhah. Probably not so much out of uh, uncontrolled sexual desire as, as a desire to assert his authority. He's challenging his father for leadership in the family. Open rebellion. We can't, we can't control the choices that our children make. We often regret their poor decisions more than they do. What we can control is the direction we point our family's hearts. That we can do. A number of years ago, before we had kids, Kelly and I were down in Florida, and we visited one of those Ripley's Believe It or Not museums. Maybe you've been to one of those. And, and the one that we went to had um, one of the features in it was a, a long tunnel. It was a cylinder, probably about as long as from here back to the, uh, where Tim is back in the sound booth. And it was this cylinder maybe 15 feet in diameter, and in the middle of the cylinder was kind of a, a walkway with railings on the side. And, and there were lights, rows of lights lining it, and uh, the lights would go just, they'd, you know, they'd go on and off, and they'd just kind of go around in a circle like this, creating the illusion, creating the illusion 
that the whole tunnel was spinning. Now it wasn't. It was just lights going around in this pattern like this. But, but you start walking into this, and those lights start pinning, spinning, and you just lose your balance right away. Just, you, can't, you can't hardly stand up straight, you know? And so you're walking along, and they'll start to spin, and you start to you know, do this. And, and it's really funny. I, I, had, I told Kelly, I said, you stand here. Stand at the start, right? You obviously got to walk right up this aisle here. And, and I went back out here where I couldn't really see the lights, and I said, okay, now start walking. So all I could see is her walking, and I see her do you know, right into the railing. And I just couldn't stop laughing. It was so funny because it seemed so ridiculous, right? Just, just go this way. This is the way to go. And, and outside the tunnel, it looks really dumb, right? There's no reason for you to do that. But, but when you're in the midst of it, right, when the lights are flashing around you and your head gets all off and you, and, and you lose your way, right? It's a lot like that with our family, right? It's like that with our kids. When they're in the middle of it, and everything in the world and the temptations and the struggles and the lies and, and everything else that comes around them that floods them, their minds and hearts and lives, are spinning them around. We, we point them in the right direction and, and what they see is all of this and, and they lose their way, right? They, they start to wander off. And, and we're outside of it and we think, why, right? What do we got to do? Start being again, straighten them up. This is the way to go. And they'll go a couple steps further and they're going to probably do this again. We're going to take them because what we can control is the direction we point them. And they're not going to take it down in a straight line. They're going to go back and forth and they're going to crash into the rail. And once in a while, they're going to flip over the rail and end up on the other side. And then we're going to go get them and we're going to pull them back out. And we'll say, this is the direction you got to go. And by God's grace, someday they'll get to the end of the tunnel where they need to be. We can't control our past mistakes. We can't control the difficulties that God permits to come into our lives. We can't control our children's behavior, but what we can control is the direction we point them. Here in chapter 35, God comes to Jacob and he says, go to Bethel and dwell there. See, Bethel is where Jacob had last stopped on his way out of the land when he was a single man with no family. That's the place he'd stopped, and God had appeared to him, a stairway out of heaven, and God had spoken to him, and, and they had made a covenant with, I'll be your God, and I'll protect you. And Jacob says, if you, if you protect me, and you make me successful and provide for me, you'll be my God. And so Jacob has been gone. He's been gone for 20-plus years, and when he comes back, he doesn't, he doesn't go back to Bethel. We saw last week he goes to Shechem, and he, he builds a house there, and he buys property there, and he builds tents for his animals there, and that's a disaster. And God comes back to him and says, go, get up and go to Bethel. And, he, and Jacob speaks up to his family and says, okay, look, we're going back. We're going to Bethel. We're going back to where the God who protects me and provides for me, back where he met me last time. And so he says, put away the foreign gods. Put those away. He's bringing them back to the middle of the path. Put those away. Cleanse yourself. Change your clothes. This symbolic purification. Now we're, we're ditching the idols. We're ditching the distractions. We're ditching the things that lead us astray. We're getting back on track. We're going to Bethel. We're going to build an altar there and worship that God. This is one of Jacob's best moments. And we read that and we think, ah, now he's getting back on track. Now he's headed in the right direction. See, Jacob had past mistakes and sins. He had endured many difficulties and trials. He had children who'd made really bad choices. But he points them back toward God anyway. And don't miss this. They follow him. 
His credibility wasn't real great, but he turned him again, pointed him back to God, and they followed him. You and I can't control much, but we can control, we can choose what direction to point our family's hearts. In fact, we not only can, we are. We not only can, we already are. It's not just the words we say, as important as those are, but the things we talk about, the priorities we display, the behaviors we demonstrate, the values we communicate are always pointing our family in some direction. Is it a direction that we've chosen? Is it the right direction? Or are we just wandering along? Listen, it's never too late. It's never too late. Even if your children are all grown up, it's not, it's not too late to start. Even if the, the first part of the story, however long it might be, might not be what you want it to be, it's not too late to try to change how the rest of the story ends up. My parents are here this morning. Um, they're good parents. Well, I mean they've raised wonderful kids, that's what I'm saying. Mostly they're proofs in the pudding, as they say. You know, even if my parents never said a single word to us to point us toward God, and they have, but even if they never had, the life they live, the life they continue to live, displays what's truly important, points our family in the right direction, their commitment to God, to their church, to service, to study and growth to other people. They can't control all the terrible decisions my siblings have made. No, I'm just kidding. But they have, for over four decades now, pointed their family consistently toward the Lord. Nobody's confused about what's important. No one's wondering what direction we're supposed to go. And, and now, of course, their, their grandchildren see that too. They don't just see it from mom and dad, they see it from grandma and grandpa. This is a family that follows the Lord. That can be your story too. I know I want it to be my story. Even if your track record hasn't been so great, even if your children are grown up and out of the house in your primary care, it's not too late to try to rewrite the rest of the story, how it ends. Our children and our families need to see us deeply committed to God, deeply committed to his word, deeply committed to his prayer, deeply committed to his people in the church. Not just what we say, but what we show. The one thing we can control is the direction we point our family's hearts. We can point them in the right direction and, and then trust in God for the rest. And we can do that because of the second thing, the second principle we see here. The first one is that the only thing we control, the one thing we can control is the direction we point our family's hearts. Here's the second thing. The one thing we can count on, God's faithfulness and grace. The one thing we can count on is God's faithfulness and grace. Here as this chapter starts, God says to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. Now that doesn't seem like a real remarkable phrase, but, but you know what that tells me? God hasn't forgotten Jacob or given up on him yet. If I was God, I would have. God comes looking for Jacob you know, the NFL season begins this week. This weekend, the NFL begins. Uh, this is the best record the Lions are going to have all year. You know, the most valuable commodity in the NFL is a franchise quarterback. 
I mean, there's only a handful of them on the planet, right? Uh, quarterbacks that can really lead a team to a championship. There's only a small number. They're very rare. Every team is desperate to have one. If you've got a great team and a mediocre quarterback, you're not going to win much of anything. If you've got a mediocre team and a great quarterback, you still have a chance. Every team wants a great quarterback, but they're rare. They're hard to come by. That's why they cost so much. And so teams will draft quarterbacks, and they'll do the best they can. Could this guy be the guy to bring us where we need to go? And the draft's kind of a crapshoot. College success doesn't guarantee pro success. And so they, they evaluate how strong-armed he is and how smart he is and what kind of decision he makes and what his leadership skills are. And, and then they draft him and they cross their fingers and they hope for the best. More of them don't pan out than do. And so the first year as he begins and he starts to struggle and they say, it's his first year, he's a rookie, we expected this, he's new to the pro game. And then year two comes along and they say, hey, we're hoping to see some improvement this year, like to see him do a little better. Well, then verse three, or chapter three, year three, year three comes along. It's like, we need to see some steps this year. We need to see some progress from this quarterback this year. And by year four, He's on the clock. He needs to prove that he's the guy to take our team to the next level. And if he doesn't, it's gone. It's time to prove it. If, if God treated his people like that, if God treated Jacob like that, Jacob would have been cut a long time ago. Jacob has not proven himself to be a good father, husband, leader. His life has been a low-grade dumpster fire for a long time. No God in his right mind would hang on to Jacob. No God in his right mind would expect to accomplish anything through a guy like him. But instead of cutting him loose, God comes to Jacob yet again with gracious promises. He, he redirects Jacob back on the path he should go. Graciously, kindly, faithfully. And he reiterates in verse 9 through 12 the promises he'd made before. He changes Jacob's name. He says, I'm God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation, a company of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come from your own body. The land that I give to Abraham and Isaac, I'll give to you. I'll give the land to your offspring after you. He comes back and makes these amazing promises. He, he blesses Jacob, which is the opposite of what Jacob deserves. God comes to Jacob despite all of Jacob's weaknesses and failures and says, you're still my guy. You're still my guy. Oh, God, have I proved myself to you? No, <laughs> no, I, just, I made promises to you. You're, you're my guy. I'm gonna do this in you and through you. I'm not going to back out of any promises I made to you. I'm still going to accomplish my purpose in and through you. If there was one thing Jacob could count on, it was God's faithfulness and grace. It didn't mean that Jacob's struggles are over. If we keep reading, we'll see that, of course, they're not. It didn't mean his life took on a fairy tale ending. What it did mean is that Jacob could rest in the fact that God was in control, working for Jacob's good, no matter what happened. So here's the question that raises for me. Can we count 
on God's faithfulness and grace. Can we? God hasn't showed up on a stairway to heaven making promises like that to me and you. Can, can we count on God's faithfulness and grace or, or is he liable to cut us loose since we've demonstrated we don't really deserve a part of his plan? Well, here's what we sort of expect God's faithfulness and grace to look like and, and here's why we have so much frustration and discouragement. We would like the fact that God is faithful and gracious to automatically mean this, a, a fairy tale ending for our family. Perfect and wonderful. We all lived happily ever after. We'd like to think that that's what God's faithfulness and grace must mean. We want our family life to be a utopian paradise. But you know what utopia actually means? It means no place. It means a place that doesn't exist. See, we don't live, we're not raising our families in a utopian paradise. We raise our families and live our lives in a fallen world marked by sin and suffering and sorrow and death. Like Jacob, our days are inevitably few and evil. And of course, it's not just what happens to us. Perhaps most frustratingly and most disappointingly, it's what we do. Many of our biggest regrets are not what people have done to us, but what we've done ourselves. Things in our past we can't change. Regrets that we have, we realize that we're part of the problem. So if we define God's faithfulness and grace to mean that everything will always go fantastically well, fairy tale ending, we all live happily ever after, we set ourselves up for frustration, disappointment, and disillusionment. He hasn't promised us that in this life. So here's what we can count on. We can count on this, that God will faithfully and graciously treat us as his own children. That, that if you are in Christ by faith, he will treat you as his own child. You want the world for your children. God wants even more for you. You may be a good father, God is the best father. God will faithfully and graciously treat his people as his own children, as a loving father, which is why Jesus teaching the disciples to pray in Matthew 6 is when you pray, say this, our father in heaven. See, here in Genesis 35, Jacob renews his commitment to God by raising an altar and offering a sacrifice to the Lord on behalf of himself and his sons and his family. But in the New Testament, we see something remarkable. God raising his own son, offering him as a sacrifice for sinful, unworthy people like me and you. Say, so can I count on God to be gracious and faithful? And the answer is yes. Can I count on God to care for me and my children, to love me and care for me and to do what's right? And the answer is yes. And the assurance we have is because God didn't spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also freely give us all things? We can count on God's faithfulness and grace because he's displayed it indisputably in the gospel. So, so that every person, 
every person who turns from their sin and trusts in God, trusts in Jesus, crucified, punished for sinners, and then raised again to new life so that those who trust him by faith might share in his eternal life, may be part of God's family, live forever as his child. See, for God's children, the story does have a happy utopian, we all live happily ever after ending. But, but it's not on this planet, and it's not in this life. It's in the next, on a new heaven and a new earth. You can count on that. If you give your life and heart to Christ by faith, you can count on on that sure ending. The only thing we can control is the direction we point our children and families. The one thing we can count on is God's faithfulness and grace. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray that you'd help us. We we need much help. We're living lives, raising families, interacting with friends in a sinful, fallen world. And we know much of discouragement, frustration, anxiety, as we worry about the future, as we worry about how we'll answer that question on Sunday, as we look back on our lives and look back on our families and look back on our legacies. And Father, we'd love to, we'd love to be in control. We'd love to... We love to uh, indulge the illusion that if we were in charge, everything could go well. Father, I pray to help us. Help us to, to trust that you are in charge, that you are sovereign and in control. But I pray, I pray for every person here. Father, most of us, probably all of us, need to this morning recommit ourselves to pointing our families toward God. Far too often, I, I know for me, and far too often, we just kind of drift along and we're pointing in all sorts of different directions, none of them intentional. And what I need, what we need is a renewed commitment in our words, our actions, our priorities to, to, to point our families toward God. To do that, Father, to adopt that action, we need to, to take on this other attitude, confidence that we can count on your grace and faithfulness through difficulties, through troubles, through discouragements, that you will bring your children home to be with you someday forever. So I pray you'd minister encouragement and grace to every parent, family member, and friend here. I pray for Springview Community Church. I pray that we would be a church of people encouraging one another, pointing one another again and again, graciously, lovingly, wisely, toward Christ as we trust together in your faithfulness and grace. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna thank you for coming for this launch up Sunday. I remind you that there are Sundays out in the hallway and I encourage you to um, eat your lunch out there or however you wanna treat that. If you eat um, eat one bowl as lunch, you can have another bowl as dessert and that makes some kind of sense. So let me send you out with these words of benediction from. Psalm 90 says, let your work be shown to your servants, God, your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. May God establish the work of our hands as we point our families and friends and one another toward Christ this week. God bless you. Have a great day.